This episode of Doing Disney, we continue our mini-series on favourite vocal performances per major Disney era, and this time we're kicking it back to the 90s and celebrating not just our favourite five, but ten vocal performances of this decade. Theme song guy. On this podcast, we let it go, because Hakuna Matata and the bare necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea, because on this podcast... We do Disney. Hi there, I'm your hostess with the mostest, Kelly Meehan, and welcome to Doing Disney. We're back with our mini-series counting down our favourite vocal performances per major Disney era. The only limitation is that the performances must be purely vocal, the actor cannot be seen on screen. So any Disney animation, Pixar, live action, television, Muppets or Star Wars property is eligible. This episode we're counting down our favourite vocal performances of the 90s. However, things are going to be a little bit different today. This is such a big decade to focus on. I've called in my special guest, Mike Hanley, and we are both going to be giving our supersized list with 10 picks each. Mike, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Start at the beginning. <laughs> now, how did you go about crafting your list in a general sense before we get into it? Uh, I mean, we just uh, thought about my favorite Disney movies, went from there, and then I just went through, tried to find like different things from different properties as well. Tried to incorporate all of it combined. Okay, let's get straight into it. What did you pick at number 10? So my number 10, I decided to go with uh, an Aladdin pick from uh, Gilbert Gottfried as Iago. Fantastic. Why didn't you make your list? Well, it's because he... He's that one distinct voice that you know. There's a couple of voice actors out there that no matter what role they play, you just know that it's them. And he plays this role perfectly where he not only messes with like Aladdin and Jasmine and Genie, but he also messes with his own guy, Jafar. So he's kind of a jerk throughout to everybody. And it it works for the character in large. He He makes it. He makes it his own throughout, which I think is awesome. And I don't think anybody else could have played this role as well as he did. Oh, I love that point, especially when you said, like, such a distinct voice. Like, you know whenever that voice is coming through a character, you're like, oh, it's Gilbert Gottfried. But I do think, like, this is maybe the, the definitive of it because it, it suits a parrot really well and it's not something you would sort of maybe immediately think of. But if you've got a turkey talking parrot, you would have someone with that more nasally screechy a little bit type of voice and as you said like it works that he's a bit of a jerk to everyone because sometimes like um everyone is a little bit sassy in the movie I will say like Aladdin can be very chat back Jasmine gives it like to you you know she's sassy personified sometimes with her hair flicks and then of (laughs) course he plays really off well with um Jafar who's maybe um, very cool, calm, collected, but can throw you a good one-liner. So that he balances out Jafar really well to, and brings out his more, um, oh, what's a, what's a good word for it? Brings out his more humorous side, I would say, yeah. because it's really great at the end when, you know, I love that meme of Jafar even gives Iago his own little Sultan hat and those two are really playing off one another. So I think it is that Gilbert Godfrey performance that does take that to the next level so. Strong start, Mike. I'm going to jump into my number 10. And the last, the first, do you call it the first or last spot? Like, I guess, <laughs> when you're starting la- I guess this last part. Last yeah, spot? but it's yeah. what I'm starting with. Yeah. Um, 
what I like about this spot is that you can have a bit of fun with it because it's obviously the highest on your list, but the first one you want to talk about. So yeah. I'm going to get in my little cheat one here. I'm going to put Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella as Timon and Pumbaa because they are a duo throughout. I've I've let myself have a duos in previous episodes, and I think this is one of the ultimates, really. You very rarely do see Timon without Pumbaa. They just tend to be in the same scenes together. And these two voices are just some iconic duo sidekick characters. And I was having a think even, and I had to have a quick Google. Did you watch The Adventures of Timon and Pumbaa on Toon Disney? I watched a few episodes of it. I never watched it full, though. I had it on um, VHS, and then they finally did release it on DVD, which I found out might only be in the UK base. And now it's on Disney+. Plus. But um, they did return for that as well. So I've seen a fair few of those on top of the original. I, I, I would obviously pick the original Lion King. It is where they are their their peak. Um, but I, I, building off of what you said about Gilbert Gottfried and Iago, this is our next set of sidekick characters who are comic relief and tend to really just can steal the show at times. Everyone really loves a Timon and Pumbaa character. They're um, Simba's pseudo parental figures after he runs away from Pride Rock, they look after him. They've got that Hakuna Matata lifestyle. I love them. They're the best part of Can You Feel the Love Tonight, in my opinion, that beginning. (laughs) So good. So these two bringing those characters to life, um, so important because maybe it's the same with Iago. When you're doing like an animal-based character, you've got a lot more free reign and then that voice does become that distinct style of how you think that character, that animal is so it's great what are your thoughts on these two? Oh yeah i think that they have amazing chemistry together like their chemistry is top notch in this and towards the end when they're actually battling the hyenas the way they even attack is funny the way they mm. charge at them is hilarious everything they do is very funny very comical and they do it in such a great way. You cannot have a Timon without Pumbaa, and you can't have a Pumbaa without Timon. They do, um, are you are you looking at me, don't they? They do the De Niro. Oh, yeah. Yes. You call me Mr. Pig. Yes. Like, <laughs> what, like, those are some of the lines we, we would have said in childhood. <sighs> Maybe my current guest excluded. Before seeing the original, <laughs> original film, it was based off, so it's one when you go back and you see what they're referencing you're like oh no i've known that from the lion king since i was young (laughs) that's a pumba line (laughs) my do you have at number nine okay so my number nine would be uh probably going to be one that we're going to talk about later but it's uh, a page o'hara bell from beauty and the beast uh i have that quite significantly higher so yeah yeah, if you don't mind we will circle back to that one (laughs) (laughs) uh my number nine I'm heading to the realm of TV because in the early 90s, they did this wonderful programming block called The Disney Afternoon. And a lot of some of my favourite shows and characters were born from this era. And I'm going to pick an all-time classic voice actor, Jim Cummings, and a character that just defined the early 90s for me. When there's trouble, you call DW, Darkwing Duck. This is probably one of the first superheroes I ever saw. Didn't realize at the time. Did not realize it's a pseudo Batman character, basically. (laughs) (laughs) This was my Batman. I had um, 
oh, really kicking it back. Mike, do you remember when things came out on cassette tape? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I had my own little Disney cassette player and they would bring out um, a pack of uh, the reading book along with the tape who would read it aloud to you. So you pop in the tape and read along with the book, those read-along storybooks, and they were coming out of those big plastic cases. I had this Cinderella, 101 Dalmatians. I had, like, my own little zip bag for carrying my cassettes around. (laughs) Um, They had, like, um, a little mermaid spin-off one because they had the Little Mermaid series at the time, so they had one focusing on her sister, Aquata. But my all-time favourite one, no doubt, is, was um, the Darkwing Duck story they had where he would steal, where they, um, someone was trying to steal this jewel in the city. But what I really like about uh, the Disney afternoon block is fleshing out. I really love like the Fab Five, like your original Mickey Mouse and Friends characters. So seeing more duck characters, I love what they did with DuckTales and then Darkwing Duck. And then you get characters like Launchpad McQuack and Goslin and things like that. And the villains were really good too. You had um, Negaduck. And um, and they have Megavolt, um, but Darkwing Duck, yeah, as I said, it was just one of those defining characters for me. It had a banging theme song, always got really excited when it would come on TV or I'd rent on VHS or would listen to this tape. So it's just one of those voices. Jim Cummings, absolute mainstay of Disney, so prolific in the 90s especially, but I'm going to give a shout-out to, to this character. Mike, what's your experience with Darkwing Duck? So... My favorite character from Looney Tunes has always been Daffy Duck. Oh, nice. So, given him his alter ego of Darkwing Duck, I was 100% for it. I, I loved it so much because he has that humor that 100% works with mm. that character. And all the adventures he goes through, I've absolutely loved. It's such a great choice. It's such a great character. Yeah, the design's great with his purple mask and his little sh- shot. But, yeah, that voice just um is the... As the cherry on top of it, like yes. as, as we're talking about, Jim Cummings did a lot of those voices in the '90s, and he just found a way to somehow keep his style. Like I know I'm listening to a Jim Cummings voice, and it's that Dis- as uh, I can, it can only be defined as Disney Afternoon to me because all those ones do sort of tie in, and everyone shares a lot of voice actors. But he still manages to give personality and a spin to his certain characters as well. So yeah, just uber talented. Had to had to feature it. Mike, what's your number eight? So my number eight would be Bill Farmer as Goofy on a Goofy movie. Sticking in the Disney afternoon to some extent. Yeah. I love it. Mike, why did Bill Farmer as Goofy in a Goofy movie make your list? So even as a child watching this movie, I absolutely loved the dad version of Goofy here with his son, Mac. I think he did such a fantastic job as Goofy. Uh, the way that they portray, they have his character be just that genuine dad that just wants to spend time with his son. And even as a child, I knew his son was a jerk. Like, his son is a jerk throughout. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, he treats his dad pretty bad. And I get why he's doing what he's doing by wanting to go to the concert. But even his dad, once he finds out about it, is just going, Goofy just goes, do it, just go. Just go to the mm. concert. And even then, he even helps him to get on stage. Like, he finds yeah. a way to actually help him. And I think he's one of the most genuine dads in 90s Disney, especially, because it's just all good in his heart. There's no bad in him at all. He just wants to be there for his son. He wants to be the best dad that he can be. And all he wanted to do was go on a fishing trip with his son. That's all he wanted. Mm-hmm. And then they go on this ultimate adventure because of it. 
Uh, I love that how you describe that because it because it is he is just a genuine dad character. Um, I like that when you, as I said before, you're giving more world to these mainstay characters. So I think Goofy is like a children's photographer, you know, in a mall. Like they gave him a job in this one, yeah, and they gave him a city and they gave him neighbors with um, Pete and PJ, and they really did a cool job of giving him a, a fully-fledged world to live in. And Bill Farmer's Goofy just brings that genuineness. It's not – he is the butt of the joke for the most part still, yeah. which is what we expect from Goofy, but then the absolute heart that he gives be- behind it as well. What's that um, – I see that meme go around, the, the line of like, I just wanted to be – I know you're growing up, I just still wanted to be part of your life. It's yes. I'm paraphrasing there. but. Yeah. That's a heartbreaker right there, and, and that's all in the that's you can write the words, but you've got to be able to deliver it. So what Bill Farmer does is goofy as a legacy character, and then continues to do from this movie with this movie, and then how they continued it and into Goof Troop and extremely goofy movie and such. I think's just phenomenal. Love it. My number eight is one that I didn't think of my list until I talked to Alan about it, and because. I enjoy The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I've said before, it's not one that I've grown up watching. It's one I've, like, I watched as a child and was just not a fan of, too too intense for me. And then coming back as an adult, I really enjoy it. But, but it's hard when we talk about the 90s because I have the thickest nostalgia goggles for this era in particular, as I, as I just picked Darkwing Dark. Like, objectively, maybe that shouldn't make the list, but to me, in my heart, that's what lives there. So, unfortunately, a lot of the Hunchback stuff just doesn't live in my heart as of yet, but I know that they are good. it's a good movie and I enjoy the, the songs and the voice vocal performances. So I have to pick Tom Hulse as Quasimodo. Um that is such a difficult character to portray to capture that sweetness that he does. I don't know how he does it. Um, we just talked about Goofy with genuine and sweetness, and I think a lot of those apply to Quasimodo as well. Like you're just sympathetic to him, you're on his side, you're on the journey he's going on, and a lot of that I think does come from that mix of the design with the voice and especially when you get to out there. I think that's the the big moment for me when you've got this performer who's just able to hit these soaring, beautiful, big notes that really captures that spirit of all of us just wanting to be free and wanting to be accepted and wanting to be out there and just giving it all for this, like, how many times have you said, I would give anything just for this once? I feel yeah. like that's a phrase some everyone has said at one point in their life or to some extent, and it's it's that voice behind it that just imparts that feeling through it to you, straight to you, straight to your heart. So I think this is maybe we we never talk about it as much. I don't know if that's because we don't talk about Hunchback as much or if, because maybe like the villain is also super strong and yeah. can overshadow it a little bit. But I think we need to talk about this performance a little bit more. Mike, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think Quasimodo is a, in this iteration of the character is extremely sweet and kind and yeah he he just wants to be accepted and he wants to live a normal life and it's one like the character in general it's one that i've got like for universal monster movies mm. it's one of the original rotations and yeah. it has that same thing of just being accepted and being thought of as a monster when he's not he's not at all and i think um he definitely gives a performance throughout this of that character that just wants to be accepted, that wants to be loved 
by somebody that he finds somebody that he actually generally cares about and he just wants to he just wants to feel accepted throughout the film and with that villain the way he treats him and how everyone yeah. treats him throughout it just kind of hits a different way absolutely mike what do you have as your number seven so my number seven i decided to go to um uh, Going back to uh, Lion King, I decided to go with Scar uh, with Jeremy Irons. Fantastic. Yeah, I think he is one of the ultimate villains of the 90s. He plays it so well, and he's such an evil character. The way he portrays Mufasa and the way he treats Simba throughout, knowing that Simba is going to be the rightful king, so he tries to kill him. He tries to make sure that he doesn't survive the onslaught. And then you just find out what happens when he decides to lead the herd. Everything is destroyed in Pride Land. And the songs that he has throughout are so fantastic as well as a character. Like, I think the, the song choices for him are perfect. And the way that they show him as first the side character of Pride Land and then as a leader of Pride Land... It's very distinct and shows how evil he truly is because Pride Land is no longer colorful. It just looks like the elephant graveyard at the end there where everything is destroyed and it's all because of him. And once um, Simba comes back towards him, you just see that he also can play that fear mm. side of it too because he is fearful of Simba. He knows that he's caught. He's caught his hand in the cookie jar. And now he has to pay for it. <laughs> and the way he switches that vocal performance of being like this tough character to being more of this, like, in a way, scared, wimpy character is just Jeremy Irons in full. That's all Jeremy Irons' performance, and he does it so well. Growing up through this era, we, we would definitely tend to pigeon actors to these roles and voices like in our heads yeah so growing up like scar and you like read the name jeremy irons like i I have no context to that like i don't know his um pedigree before this and like his acting history (laughs) and then when you go back i'm like whoa that is actually a big pull for the time because we're still maybe working with like a lot of uh, professional voice actors yeah. at this time or Broadway people or up-and-comers or, like, Aladdin was just voiced by, like, TV stars and whatnot. So I think to have a – had he won Oscars at this point or, like, Oscar-nominated yeah. or such, like, at performance as Jeremy Irons to play the villain, not even, like, the main character to play the villain, I think says a lot. And it's probably because we're getting those Shakespearean ties to it. I think it's maybe easier a bit to sell. And we had had Beauty and the Beast nominated for Best Picture. So, But I still think even then you would have to have had this in development and such. So to attach a name like that I think is pretty insane. But it just works so well. And as I said, it is like Shakespearean training that helps bring Scar to life because you need that scheming conniving performance to come through and yeah yeah absolutely and but also as you said like there's different facets to him he's able to play um cowardly and scared he's able to play so humorous with it like he's just chewing the scenery in the best way possible like he's just playing it meticulously in in some way i know what i've just said is somewhat paradoxical but (laughs) it's somehow true coming through with scar which is yeah i just I love to see it. Fantastic choice. My number seven, I've put two actors on this list. 
but it's because they're playing the same role. So I chose Chris Sarandon and Denny Elfman as Jack Skellington <laughs> because both bring this character to life. Uh, Chris Sarandon obviously doing the core, the key vocal line delivery throughout the film, but then Danny Elfman providing the singing voice for Jack Skellington. And I think both need to be noted because both hit me in a different way. Chris Sarandon is able to bring that Jack Skellington personality through where its guns are blazing. Like he is firing in all cylinders at all time Jack Skellington to make his plan happen and he is exuberant and happy and making things work. Like I'm, I'm thinking of scenes of um, when like after he's discovered Christmas and he's experimenting yeah. with Christmas and he's having the, the presentation to the the other citizens and things like that. And then when he's like going on doing his Christmas runs, like he is just <clears throat> happy and brings that really almost sing-song quality to that voice. Like it tends to go up really high and down and high and hello, blah, blah, like that. <laughs> as, as a technical way of, of phrasing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But when I think of the Danny Elfman side, of course, I think of a lot of the songs and we do get that in What's This, where if you've ever tried to sing that song, that's a tongue twister and a half, I think. Like every time that comes on in the car, like I'm trying to bust those words out (laughs) and just, I think I get to about the second or third verse and I'll just slip up once. How does he do it? But the one in particular I think of that shines is um, Jack's Lament when he's he's on the hill because it's those beautiful notes that he's holding throughout and the articulation of them, the, the oh, oh, somewhere deep inside of my bones, like um, that bit there. And it's it, the way he phrases the word longing, go back and have a listen because there's some vocal affectation he's just slightly putting on it that's just enough that really does managed to convey longing like ache, an aching a yearning in that um singing performance so um this character is just it's it's been around my me for a little while and I've always admired it um but so I couldn't put these voices on that I just think are absolutely iconic at this point Mike what are your thoughts on these two yeah I think um the character of Jack there is just um he he's more of like a try hard character mm. I mean, like he's trying so hard to yeah. be a perfectionist with halloween and then when he discovers christmas he tries so hard to make everyone go this is the way we need to go we need to do christmas we can have presents and stuff like that but he doesn't understand until the end what it what the meaning of christmas is he doesn't understand the fact of giving. He thinks he's mainly doing it in a way for himself at first and for his people in Halloween town, in the Halloween section of it. But in essence, he's kind of doing it for himself rather than what Santa Claus is doing it for, which is for everyone. And he doesn't get it until the very end, until he puts on that suit and he starts seeing what's happening and that um, the things that he's been trying isn't working. So he decides to, fi- he finally feels it he finally feels what christmas is supposed to be about and he changes everything around by helping santa and by getting all the actual presents to the kids again and it all comes through that voice and through the voices in general because of the singing and the talking voice yeah they're both distinct in their own way and they both work for the character of jack 
love it. Mike, what do you have as your number six? So my number six, I'm going to my uh, favorite Pixar movie, Toy Story, and I'm going Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear. This is the ultimate guy right here. This is the, <laughs> this is the ultimate spaceman who believes himself to be a real person and not a toy. He he just thinks like he's a bee's knees. Like he is the ultimate guy, and it works for him. Like Tim Allen just does that voice so well because he's a he has an ego on him throughout the first and second half of the movie. Like that first half of the movie is just him with that ego just going like, you're mocking me. And he can fly, which is just a setup when he just, it's so lucky that he grabs onto the fan because without the fan spinning him around, he wouldn't be flying. He'd been falling. But yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then he shows a heart throughout the second mm. half of the movie. That's where I'm going with the original Toy Stories. He actually shows the heart. He starts seeing that, especially when he loses his arm and he wants to give up on everything. And you start seeing that he no- now knows that he is a toy and he's accepted it. And it's kind of brought the heart into him because he never really had the heart throughout. It was more of that stone cold, like assassin in a way where all he cared about was doing his mission. That was it. Now it's more about, I want to live my life with these people, with these other toys. So I have to do what I have to do to do it. And when they're, especially when they're jumping on at the end, trying to jump onto the moving truck as they're leaving. And you just see that he is now about helping the other toys and saving everyone instead of just trying to just complete his mission to return. And I think it's done so well by Tim Allen. Tim Allen was a perfect voice. So many good points, Mike. As soon as you like, when you bring up a new one, I'm like, absolutely. I'm going to stick to the first point that stuck out to me. Uh, the ego that needs to come through in that voice as well, I think, is so true. You need a bit of that bravado, a bit of that machismo, which is where I think you're casting Tim Allen, you know, very known for like maybe home improvement at the time, Tim yeah. and Taylor and such. So I think that's that's one part that works is that you need to have that cockiness that's able to come through but then you hit the next point it's also very cool calm and collected and assassin like it's very it's a very deadpan voice because he's a he's a um spaceman so he's very logical and by the book and this is how it goes and things like that so it's funny because you do you need to be pushing it yet rein it in at the same time so i think that's not an easy vocal performance to do i think it's maybe a bit underrated with how difficult that, that could be at times and then i love because we talked about it in my toy story episode that scene of him of the i will go sailing no more when he tries to fly and um has to really start facing his shortcomings and i think that's also difficult to play that um brokenness and then to be able to rebuild yourself. So uh, really, one I didn't appreciate at first, like you're always like, oh, yeah, Tim Allen, it's good. But like when you really start to pick it apart, I'm like, oh, no, that was actually very quite well done. My number six is a mistake I've had to rectify from a previous episode. <laughs> always a great way to start a point. <laughs> this is where I messed up and I'm fixing it now. Uh, my number six is a David Ogden Steers performance. I woefully forgot him on my um, recurring voice actors list because this is like a Disney staple. I am going to choose Cogsworth from Beauty and the Beast for, if if nothing else, one particular delivery of a line. If it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> like that line <laughs> kills me. 
It's phenomenal. Um, no, it is. I've said it before. I love stick in the mud characters. I don't know why. I just like a fussy character. <laughs> Not reflective of myself at all, surely. Um, no, I think you do always need someone to play that straight man. And I think David Ogden Steers is able to find the the sternness and the methodical nature of what Cogsworth is. Obviously, um, this person was turned into a clock for a particular reason. He, he likes things on time. He runs households. He takes care of things. So I think you need to – it's hard to make a more um, fastidious character lovable, and I think David Ogden Steers brings that, and it is nice when we get to see those moments of levity and moments of humour in Cogsworth as well. So he's running the full gamut for me of what you need from a good side character. We talked about um, Timon and Pumbaa earlier about – uh, or even Gilbert Gottfried, really great side characters. But I think Cosworth has a little few more levels and variety to play in that performance. And I think that's all David Ogden Steers. What do you think of this one, Mike? Yeah, I think Cosworth does what uh, most side characters try to do throughout. And that is to have their own, in a way, their own voice and their own story that not only meshes well with the main characters, but sometimes surpasses the main characters, and I think Cogsworth does that. I think Cogsworth does surpass some of the main characters in Beauty and the Beast with the humor and with the sassiness that he has. I, I think it's perfect. Like He does it so well, and his delivery is fantastic. I do think like um, that little trio of Gerald Barker's Lumiere and Angela Lansbury's Mrs. Potts as a whole, just they've they've made three very distinct personalities that work so well as a team. Yeah. But I'm just going to give... Cogsworth and in particular shout out because it's because for the levels like we said like you've got a, a wider range of things to play in it and maybe a bit of a more difficult role to play in that one and I think David Ogden Steers rises to the challenge and I'll give my quick shout out for Ratcliffe here as well because <laughs> it's nice to see him come back and do like a full villain role that was great. Mike what's your number five? So my number five I am going back to Aladdin and I'm going to my favorite Disney princess played by Linda Larkin the Princess Jasmine. And Fantastic. as a kid, I also loved Princess Jasmine. I thought she was so amazing as just a character in general where it's not about her accepting her fate. It's about her pe- pushing past that and wanting something more. She doesn't want to get the prearranged marriage. She's very strong-willed. She's extremely strong-willed to, to an, the biggest extent, and it works for her. And she cares more about the people than her actual own father does who's the sultan she cares more about the people that he's supposed to be helping and that's all she wants to do is help the people she wants to if she finds love she wants to find it on her own terms not through her father's terms or through jafar's terms and it even comes when her actions with jafar she's very steadfast she is very like um talking back to him she doesn't take any of the things that he's given to her she just throws it back at him and i think it's amazing the way she does it and her the chemistry between her and aladdin is incredible and i think it's one of the best love stories of the 90s for disney animation it is so great and they're so sweet together and she finds the love that she has and she learns to trust because that's another big thing with her is trust because the only thing she trusts is her pet tiger (laughs) and that's her main power but finding aladdin and abu and the genie she finally comes to except that she can rely on others because that was a big thing with her at the beginning is she's not relying on anybody. She's relying on herself, but she finally accepts the fact that you can rely on people 
for good reasons. Oh, absolutely. I think you touched on some real key components of Jasmine and why the voice of Linda Larkin is so important to that. So being strong-willed, I, I like to voice it as she's the perfect example of being assertive because yes. not once throughout the movie does she really yell or overly raise her voice. She just is very pointed in what she has to say. And Linda Larkin has a very soft voice, yeah. a very soft oh, yeah. voice throughout the film that she brings to Jasmine. But it's like we will not bow to you. She just puts power behind it without yelling or becoming aggressive. It's it's fantastic. And as you said, um, there's that key scene where, um, yeah, Jafar's the Sultan, and she says, "We will not bow to you." Yeah. And she, so it's because the Sultan started bowing, and she is not. So to be able to convey power, but still keep the softness throughout, and like she, as you said, she's firing sassy one-liners off and throwing it back but she's never harsh in that voice which is such a fine line to walk it's one that I definitely cannot walk my, my <laughs> tone is up down and all around it all the time and keep that and as you said you get those really vulnerable moments with oh Raja like she's just able to put levels in that without afflicting it so so much which is yeah very very rare for a disney princess i think so um this is one i think we never talk about that voice actress very much and what she actually does bring to jasmine we tend to talk about jasmine as characters so i love that yeah. we've um brought that up today for that one uh sticking in the official disney princess lineup i'm gonna go with ming na wen as mulan i just had the pleasure of being able to see this on the big screen somewhat recently and just the absolute warmth that she brings through Mulan throughout just really makes this character, character sing to me because it's such a funny role to play where you are playing a woman who's then playing a man and then you go back to being a woman, like messing with those gender roles and identities and such. And I think usually you might have someone who's putting on too much of a gruff voice, but the absolute softness and sincerity yet toughness that she's able to portray with Mulan, I think, is just an absolute credit. Mike, what stands out to you about Ming-Na Wen's performance as Mulan? I think it's the fact that she has to take her entire family onto mm. her shoulders. Like, she becomes the leader of her family because her father can't do, he's too old to do the job that they need him to do so she takes it over that's the whole reason of her going over there is to protect her father and to bring honor to her family and she messes like you see that she's trying to in a way get her family's acceptance and she just met she continuously messes things up so it's her going out there and doing this that actually finally gives her her own identity and also brings the honor that she wanted to to her family and it also shows how toughness, and it's all through her voice, like you said, it's 100% through that voice, is that she's able to bring that not only softness, but that assertiveness. And it's another character that really takes nothing from anybody. She mm. accepts the role, she doesn't accept the role that she's in, she wants to make it her own. And that's what she does throughout, is that um, when they're about to kick her out, she climbs the pole. She's mm. the only one to climb the pole and it just shows how strong world she is. And it all comes through that voice. That voice is amazing. Absolutely. I love that. Um, like in the ending scene 
when she like pulls back her hair and it's the soldier from the mountains. Like yeah. I love that. And yeah, it's unfortunate. Like sometimes she can say even more without saying anything that character, yeah. but it definitely is. Um, you know, when bringing that that warmth to to Mulan, that has you're on her side from the get go, which is just wonderful. Uh, Mike, who's your number four? So we're gonna stick with Mulan, and yeah. I'll do one of the ultimate guys oh, yeah. from the '80s and '90s, like. I okay, so I was born in the 80s, but I grew up in the 90s, and there was one guy, one comedian that absolutely stuck to, and I saw everything he did, and it's Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy is truly incredible, and to know that going in to be Mushu, I was so excited for it. I knew it was going to be a blast, and his comedic timing is at its highest in this, where he can't use the language he usually uses, so he has to delve into his other comedic sensibilities and he does it so well the back and forth that he has with everyone including Mulan is hilarious and I just love everything about this character and it's his voice throughout that brings it that extra oomph that you need for that and I don't think another comedian could pull off that type of role at that time in his career like he did I very much agree. That is just one of those ones that is um, a distinct Eddie Murphy role at this point because you need someone who's that exuberant and exagger- like exaggerating everything, that yeah. over-the-top, yet somehow still is able to rein it in. And just to land the joke, Mike, I think is sometimes a really <laughs> difficult thing to do yeah. in, in animation. Sometimes it can just really go too far, but I don't think Mushu ever goes too far. It's always just enough. My absolute favourite delivery is to center on you, to center on your cow. <laughs> 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 but no um you absolutely need that comedic relief throughout the film there's like some very serious themes and moments happening throughout so i think mushu brings that breath of fresh air i'm always happy to see him on the screen and it is those highs and lows that eddie murphy's bringing to it like with the breakfast is smiling at you <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's great um it's definitely as you said I, growing up through the 90s, I reckon I've seen Mushu and then maybe not picked it as I'm watching it, but later on when you go, oh, that's Eddie Murphy, you're like, oh, yes, from such and such, whatever yeah. was big at the time. Maybe it was Dr. Doolittle or whatever else was playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number four, oh, we're, up, we're all around a few of the same movies. <laughs> We're going to switch. You you picked Aladdin, I picked Mulan. You've picked Mulan. Now I'm going to go back to Aladdin <laughs> as we talk about Jonathan Freeman as Jafar. This is absolutely a performance that's stuck with me throughout, like, my childhood. Jafar, Jafar and Ursula, I reckon, are the only Disney villains I've ever been actually terrified that, like, you know, like, um... Boogie, like monsters in your closet, like monsters in like the boogeyman and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like I reckon Jafar and Ursula are the only ones I reckon like could actually come and grab me and then get me. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> um, he's just Jonathan Freeman in a similar way to what we see in Jeremy Irons' the Scar brings that Shakespearean gravitas quality to that character. It's that scheming close to royalty, wants the power, cannot have it, those types of characters. And you do need a particular performance to come through, but even more so than Scar, he is that very controlled, collected for the most part. Yeah. But where he shines is when you get those unhinged screams and screeches from him. <laughs> they are terrifying. 
um, especially in like some of the songs I think of the Prince Ali reprise. It's like to the ends of the earth and then just hits that screechy high note and then sassy as um, ex-Prince Ali, like so good. Or when um, he's able to insult you to your face. And that's coming through with the Jonathan Freeman performance, how he just drops it down, Prince Abubu. Like yeah. he's being able to use tone and infliction and it just it's just a shining performance. Mike, what are your thoughts on Jonathan Freeman as Jafar? I think that there's one big distinction between a character like him and so, like a uh, villain we talked about earlier, Scar, where Scar, you can, there's an understanding in a way of why Scar is doing what he's doing because he feels like he's the underappreciated brother, like he didn't matter to his family. So he wants to be the top, like he never felt like he is number one. So he wanted to be. Jafar is just evil in Coronet. He just wants it for the power, he wants it for the money. There was no good in that man at all. And it shows it throughout. Like every decision he makes is very calculated and very much to get him on the top. He doesn't care about anybody. He doesn't care about Iago at all. He's willing to throw Iago to the birds if he had to. He doesn't care. Like he's just, and it comes through that voice. That voice is very like tough, but very calculating at the same time. And he plays it off extremely well. Oh, I love it. Mike. We're getting to the top three. Yes. Who made your number three spot? So my number three spot, I decided to move to the Muppets. And my favorite Muppet has always been Kermit, of course, because it's Kermit. And, but the performance of his in uh, Christmas Carol is incredible. Like Bob Crat- playing as Bob Cratchit and just having that, what is it? Um, He has that way about him that plays it off as he's very, like, in a way, low to the floor with the way he portrays it. Like, he doesn't portray it as he's any strength level at all, but he does have strength in him. And he's doing it all for his family. He has to work on insane holidays, insane hours because of Scrooge. And he does it because he he wants to take care of his family, but he also does it because he wants to help out Scrooge as well. He feels bad for him. He feels bad for him throughout, and he absolutely loves Scrooge. And you can tell throughout every, like, um, uh, when he's talking to Miss Piggy, (laughs) and they're back and forth together, Miss Piggy basically tells him, like, uh, why do you put up, basically, why do you put up with him? And he goes, because I see, he said something to the effect of that, I see good in him. And he does see good in Scrooge, and it comes off towards that ending, which is always a magic ending of Christmas Carol. And it's just, it's incredible the way he portrays that voice of Kermit that I love so much. Yeah, um, Steve Whitmire does such a good job of taking the reins after um, the unfortunate passing of Jim Henson, and that's yeah. really such big shoes to fill. And I like how you phrase Kermit as being um, a very unassuming character in this film when he's portraying a, a classic character of, of Bob Cratchit. So yeah. he's very um, humble, very honest, very family-oriented, and it's just great to see um, the Muppet characters in general fit into this Victorian time period, so to speak, and, and fill the shoes of, of a classic tale of a Christmas Carol. So absolutely, I think um, as a 
first maybe theatrical performance voicing his character. I think that's a, a big ask and I think he he knocks it out of the park. Um, my number three is a performance I've talked about before all the way back to my first episode as my favourite character. I'm going to talk about Susan Egan as Megara from Hercules. Uh, Susan Egan, I've said, has just that very distinct voice where you can hear it in anything. Once once you know who she is, you hear it in, in wherever you go. So I love her in Spirited Away, in Poco Rosso, in Steven Universe especially. Um, but as Meg, she's got that 1940s, um, almost Jessica Rabbit-esque, for, for a point of reference, um, quality to that voice where she's just like a sassy broad. Somehow it just works so well in this ancient Greek mythological setting because you have someone as Hercules who's a very naive character, who's a very sheltered character. So you need someone like Megara who's, oh, quote, unquote, from the streets, as to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, just a woman who has had to take care of herself yeah, and as we see later on in the film, who um, sacrificed her soul for another man and was jilted. So I think all of that forms the personality of Megara, and then is knocked out of the park by Susan Egan. You talked about Tim Tim Allen voicing Buzz Lightyear. This to me is the equivalent of that, where like I just cannot think of someone else voicing this character at this point of how Meg should sound without the voice of Susan Egan and how she was able to, as I said earlier, you can have lines on the page, but it's how you deliver them. And the delivery that she chooses to give this character is absolutely stellar and makes the film for me because, as I said, you need that bouncing off of Hercules and we get to see that with also um, like Danny DeVito as Philoctetes and James Woods as Hades. But I think Meg being your love interest, sometimes we don't always see that. We've talked about how some of the um, female characters from the 90s can be a little bit softer but assertive, whereas Meg is just straight in your face, here's how it is. Again, not without, not with raising the voice, but just in in tone and in what she chooses to say and how she says it. So this performance, just I, I love it. Come back to it over and over again, especially in I won't say I'm in love. Like no chance, no way. It's so good. It's too cliche. I've I've I had never seen a character like that who wasn't like that automatically fall in love, lovey dovey. Here's our big romantic song who's, like, pushing it away at first and did not understand at the time, like, the um, psychology maybe behind that behaviour. So to see it and then to see how Susan Egan was able to push that through the animation, I think, is just phenomenal. Mike, what are your thoughts on Susan Egan as Megara? I think uh, you said it pretty perfectly. Uh, with Megara, you need that strength in there, and I think she provides that strength through that voice very distinctly and very well that she just has that toughness to her because, yeah, she did grow up through the streets and she has been, like, tossed over from mm. other situations. And I think that meshes well with that character and makes her even stronger throughout. And the back and forth with Hercules has always been fantastic in that. You definitely needed her as a character in there to kind of counteract how Hercules is. Yeah, like calling him Wonder Boy and yeah. making fun of him and um, even how she has to go um, find his weaknesses things like that, like weak ankles. She's very pointed in what she's saying. And it's a character that pushes the line of maybe we shouldn't actually be liking her or maybe we should be wary of her. But it's Susan Egan's, like, delivery 
of what she's saying. It's been a real slice. Like I just love <laughs> any extra tone she puts on those those lines is is great. Mike, who's your number two? So my number two, I'm going back to Toy Story. I'm going this time Woody. Tom Hanks says Woody is so incredible, man. He is so lovable as Woody. Like Woody is just like he's a complete opposite of Buzz. Where at first, where he doesn't like you don't really see that ego on him at first until he meets Buzz. It kind of transfers that ego when he meets a toy that's kind of his his um uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of. Uh, his, his rival? Yeah, his rival in a way. And he, at first, he's just that the lovable leader that just wants to protect Andy at all costs. He's Andy's best friend, and he loves all the toys, all of his friends. He loves them all the same. And then Buzz comes in, and he kind of wants to be, he kind of gets the alpha male essence in him. And he starts making mistakes that he usually probably wouldn't make without Buzz there. And you start seeing that he's not as straightforward as he was portraying, that he does have a little ego towards him as well. And he does have that kind of nastiness towards him because he feel like he, he feels like he is left over. He's now the leftover toy. And both him and Buzz, the way Tom Hanks and Tim Allen both portray these characters, they both come to the realization that, they need each other. They need to lean on each other when they can, and they both need Andy the same. And it's that character protection of Andy throughout the Toy Story series that um, uh, Tom Hanks has provided for Woody, where he just wants to protect Andy, and then he want, he knows he has to let Andy go, just like Andy has to let him go further on in the series. And it's all through that voice. That's a distinct voice of Tom Hanks. You know mm-hmm. that voice 100%. He is uh, America's dad. And he plays it perfectly with Woody. (laughs) I love that you said about the levels that we see with Woody, because when I think of just Woody, I'm really thinking of him like being maybe a bit exasperated or flailing his arms (laughs) or whereas like Buzz was so cool, calm, collected, Woody tended to be like a bit more um, almost Kermit the Frog X with like the arms in the air and a bit um, (laughs) strung out for a better term, like very high strung, sorry. Yeah. Um, but at the start of the film, he is very in charge and knows his place and he put, has the meeting with the toys and is very um, leader-esque. Um, so to see that progression, I think you're right. You do need someone like Tom Hanks who can play that v- variety in that performance. My number two, unintentionally sticking in the land of Beauty and the Beast <laughs> with the same character of Belle as Susan Egan portrayed her in Broadway. We have to circle back to your number nine pick, my number two pick, Paige O'Hara as Belle. This is definitely, we talked about it earlier with Linda Lark and not getting recognition. I think Paige O'Hara gets no recognition and it's just not fair. It's just not fair that this is such a distinct voice and yeah. performance because Robbie Benson as the Beast is phenomenal as well, these two together. It's those voices that bring the picture to life. I know that's a very maybe, well, dark, Ellie, of course. You need those voices. <laughs> but, I mean, those two in particular, you need Belle to be a hero, uh, heroine that you fall in love with and go on the journey with. And we've talked about strength in Disney princesses and we're really seeing it throughout the 90s. The way that she searches for her father, that she then selflessly puts herself in her father's place. And that comes through in what Paige O'Hara 
does because Belle is not a pushover of a girl. She is. Uh, she has a very firm voice when she's speaking with the beast. Yeah. Beast. Um, and then we just the range of emotion that she's being able to extract in this character is insane. The longing and the curiosity and the strength of when you know she runs off and the beast goes to save her in the woods, and they come back and they have that amazing exchange about actually having a proper conversation about what their feelings are. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes we just don't say that in the movies. <laughs> so what she's able to come through with being so steadfast and she just has one of the most melodically pleasing voices I've heard in film, I think, um, in, in in her songs, in in Belle. Um, I, just, I just love listening to that voice. It's just absolutely pleasing to the ears. Mike, why did Pedro Herrera make you a number nine? Yeah, I think she's one of the sweetest Disney princesses. She has that sweetness that comes through that voice. She is very strong-willed as well. And I think it's the fact that that whole aspect of her being, like, it shows her reading the book at the beginning. Like, she's consistently reading, and that's what the Beast kind of gives her as well as a present is the library and stuff like that. That is all yours. And it shows through her smarts. Uh, all that reading has come mm. to pass that she knows how to outsmart people when she needs to and how she's also extremely selfless, especially when it comes to her father, that she does take the place that she may be there forever, be trapped there forever, but she's doing it for her father. I think it's all brought through that voice and I think she does it so, Pedro Herr does it so well. Yeah, especially in like the bell reprise when she's like, I want to venture in the gray wide somewhere. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And then even before that, when she's like, um, his little wife, ugh, like just those little <laughs> moments are so good. It deals us to that character off the bat because she just wants to be free. Very similar to what we see a year later with Princess Jasmine. It's just yeah. women who want to decide their own futures and fates and you need to have those vocal performances to match it. And I, I think she does. Um, Mike, we have made it all the way to number ones. I think yes. it's going to be an absolute shocker to no one. What's your number one? My number one, I got to go with one of the most ultimate voices. He's voiced one of the, considered one of the greatest villains of all time. So now he's now he's voicing one of the best fathers of all time. I'm going James Earl Jones as Mufasa from The Lion King. Okay. He is just insanely great as a father of Simba. Like the the things he provides to Simba throughout the conversations he has to him about the pride lands and what he's going to be having when he becomes king, what he's going to have to deal with is so fantastic. And it comes through with that fatherly voice. He has like that ultimate voice of his. And even when he's up in the sky after he's passed away and he's up in the sky and it just shows his face, that voice just thunders throughout and the only way James Earl Jones can do is and him coming to also save him in the elephant graveyard and he he finally provides that father talk to him of just going you can't keep doing this like you I need to protect you but you are making these choices that you shouldn't be making I told you not to go over there you have to be like you have to be your own leader and he provides that for Simba through only, and he's only on screen for what, like 10 minutes, maybe throughout the entire runtime. He's only there 10, 15 minutes. And so impactful. He, yeah, it's all impactful. It's 100% impactful. And that's why I consider him the number one for Disney. That's, 90s. 
absolutely true. Um, the the life lessons he's imparting, like um, the antelope eat the grass, sweet the antelope, and when our bodies die, we become the grass. Yeah. Such as the circle of life is only something I think you need a very trained actor who's got that deep, booming voice who is able to sincerely deliver those lines because he gives the slightest inflections in that speech that just make it hit home. And as you said, like um, when they're like looking at under the stars, look, these are the kings of our past, things like that. Like I, I can't imagine anyone but James L. Jones being able to deliver those lines so so sincerely and so impactfully. So amazing choice. My number one, was we said James L. Jones had played one of the most iconic villains. I've got another, what I consider iconic villain. <laughs> I'm going with James Woods as Hades. So this is, we've talked, we've had a fair few villains make our list, yeah. which is pretty cool. We've got villains like Scar, like Jafar. We mentioned Frollo briefly. These more villains that have been pushed to the side, very Shakespearean in their ways. But this going all the way back to mythology, like this was the first brother who was pushed to the side yes. with Hades, jealous of his older brother Zeus. But James Woods is just enjoying this so very much. I think he's come come back to play this in every iteration of Hades because I think he said he just loves this character because he's just going off the train with this performance. Like, what a way to play a wacky, fun, oh, just um, saying whatever he wants. Someone who's, like, um, when he's lining, when he's watching her fight the Hydra, who's, like, cheering and being able to go just absolutely bonkers when he turns red and just scream and yell and then I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm cool. So the absolute variety and range that he's able to play, he, he can play fun, he can play scary, he can play um, sassy, he can give you those one-liners, he can play cool, like just the absolute range that he's able to display throughout the whole film. I think we just don't see a lot of villains that are able to do Exactly that. I think some villains can play one facet of that. Like you might have Yzma who can play like the fun, a bit quirky side, or you would have um, Scar who's able to play the more sinister side. But I think James Woods and this character of Hades is able to play just all sides. So I love it. What are your thoughts on James Woods as Hades? Yeah, I think he knocks it out of the park as Hades. He is one of the most ultimate villains of Disney animation movies. And it's because of the fun that he has throughout. Like, yeah. you can tell he loves the role. So the fun exudes through the role itself. And he he's not just an evil villain, like you said. There's so many facets to him, including him just cracking jokes throughout. Like, even when it's things are getting bad, he still is able to bring the humor towards it. And that makes him even more evil because of the fact that he's enjoying what he's doing throughout. He enjoys it. And it's... It's all brought through James Woods. James Woods no, is incredible as a voice of Hades. Oh, I love it. Well, Mike, those are our lists. Or is it? No, of course, <laughs> of course. You're listening to this and thinking. They have not talked about Robin Williams as the genie. Uh, our super secret joint number ones, of course, has to be Robert Williams as the genie. Mike and I were devising our list, and he just looks at me and goes, well, Kel, we know what's number one, right? <laughs> Yeah, there's only number like one. <laughs> there's, there's very one distinct, absolute dominating, joyful performance of the 90s. Mike, talk to me about Robin Williams as the genie. 
he just brings so much happiness in that role. Like it's insane how great he is in that. And to know that he did so many other takes that they have enough to make another movie, but that will never be seen that those voice recordings will never be heard. And I think that's for the good because Robin Williams is one of the most magical humans ever, man. The man brought so much humor to everything he did. And in this role, he made it his own. Like he made the genie his own role that there's no other person that can play the genie and ever come close to being what he did. The humor, the hurt that he brings to it. And also the like little sad moments that he has. Like when he thinks that Aladdin has passed and he wants to try to bring him back. And then when he becomes free and you just see that low energy he gives to that high energy, he brings that all throughout the role. He can do it all. Not to mention that he plays the other role in Aladdin as well, which just shows uh, the distinct voice that he has, that he can do multiple voices and he can do it so well. There's no Aladdin without Robin Williams and there's no genie without Robin Williams. There is absolutely nothing else I can add to that. That was wonderful. Uh, Mike, we might list off some of our honorable mentions before we head out. So I've got a little bit of overlap with you. I've got Bill Farmer as Goofy. Um, I've got Irene Bedard as Pocahontas. I think brings a, a real sincerity through that role. Uh, Don Rickles as Mr. Potato Head. Toy Story having just so many great voice actors. It was hard to narrow that one down, but I think that one's very distinct. Uh, Joan Cusack as Jessie for Toy Story 2. I know that is a very intense performance. It's a lot of yee-hawing, but again, when you get those moments of her being left by her owner and, you know, not wanting to be abandoned again, I think Joan Cusack just gives Jessie a, a, she's a zest for life, basically. So I love that. And some other Pixar picks are David Hyde Pierce as Slim and Dennis Leary as Francis the Ladybug. I think those are, they give us those Timon and Pumbaa type roles for A Bug's Life. Uh, and then some more villains, Brian Blessed as Clayton and Tony Jay as Frollo bring those very menacing British almost qualities to those roles, which is great. And then I have to give a major sad, shout out to Leah Salonga, who does the singing voice for Jasmine and Mulan, the absolute MVP of the 90s for me. Mike, who do you have? Yeah, a couple of those were definitely on my list. And then the two big ones that I wanted to, Wallace Shawn as Rex. Mm-hmm. I think is amazing. And then BD Wong as Shang from Mulan, I think yeah. is incredible. Gets overshadowed a lot that performance, yeah. I think. Oh, Mike, that's our episode for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. And we'll see you run next time. And when you come to the end, <laughs> stop. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Doing Disney. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doing Disney Podcast and Twitter at Doing Disney Pod. 